0: They need God to revive them, restore them. Now, He brought them to their land, but everything is in shambles. Back to their homeland, but it's all in shambles. And they have profaned God's name for so long and did so much. And they misrepresented who He was. And they had their devotions to other gods, false gods. And they were led into captivity as prophesied by the prophets. And now they get... God is faithful. He gets them back home, if you will. But their land is a mess. And when they see physically with their eyes what's going on, their hearts are troubled and they're dismayed and they're, some of them are, they feel like there's no hope for them and yet they're home, they're back in their land. They thought they'd never be there. And there's hope that's lacking and it's dark and it seems like the task is so huge for it to get rebuilt again. But then there's this psalm this and it's really a song, a psalm that has two parts, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. That's another sermon for another day. But I want to focus on verse six, right in the middle of it, after they go and they say, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, there's something interesting here in this phrase. It's very simple, if you just notice. He says, won't you revive your people again? For what purpose? Or what does it look like when you're, there's, there's a rejuvenation, revival? There's life that's happening and it's overflowing. There is joy. There's a rejoicing, not just in life in general, but in God and the things of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Don't raise your hand, obviously. Don't even blur it out, yes or no, because you could do that and it might not be the real deal. But really, in your heart of hearts, do you rejoice? I'm talking about. I mean, it's, it's we're supposed to rejoice in our circumstances. I get all that. But we, you know, we go through things. And, but do you, in the deepest part of you, because it's not just about the feeling, but do you truly rejoice and have joy and a drive in, the, in God himself and for the things of God? Or are you finding that you have more joy, if you will, in quotes, doing other things, being other places, being with people other than the people of God and not that God doesn't want us to be there as long as we're sharing them. But do we find ourselves full of joy or maybe we need to be revived just like these people. When you look around your circumstance and you know that you're a people of God, we know that God doesn't pull away your salvation and give it back to you and pull it back. And you, even if you're a remnant, you go through things and you've sinned, you've fallen back, but God brings you back, right? And when you look around and things don't look like they were before, do you still have joy and do you rejoice or do you need revival? I'll have to admit, sometimes We need revival. Actually, can I just say that we need to be revival all the time. And I stand by that statement. We need to be revived all the time in this idea of revival. Now, you remember, some of you know, I remember a baseball player for the Chicago White Stockings, Billy Sunday, right? He's the guy who got saved. Some of you know who he was. And he came to Jesus after he heard songs coming out of the Pacific Garden Mission in California and in the late 1880s, and he heard the gospel presented to him on the streets, and he gave his life to Jesus. Amen. Someone told him. It just doesn't happen because somebody fed him. or so, It might be a gateway. It might be a way to get there. But somebody told him the gospel, the good news, which always comes after the bad news. Um, without God, you're a sinner, and you're going to an eternity without God. It's called hell. But the good news is this. You can go to heaven and be with God because Jesus died for you and if you accept him, if you have faith in him, he gives you faith and you come and you, you bow your knee to Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, you're saved. You regenerated. He heard the good news. And I read about, I remember being in Bible school, but I read a story about this super brief conversation that he had with an elderly woman. And the lady asked him, why do you keep having revivals when it doesn't last? This is what he asked. He says, Why do you keep taking baths? It's the same thing. There's a parallel there. You know, if we simply think that we've come to Jesus and we're all set, we're all good, and that we don't need revival or to be renewed and restored, refreshed and reinvigorated, if you will, and for the Spirit of God to touch us, then we're fooling ourselves. We're going to get caked with all kinds of stuff, not only on the outside, if you will, but spiritually speaking, we are going to get filthy. Now... The Word of God washes us. The Holy Spirit's in it. I, but you know what? The world, we're in it and we need to be revived and cleansed and touched by God regularly. What is revival? You know, it's important, as I mentioned earlier, we have that, that, that prefix, R E. And, and again, in the Latin and in just in, in English, we understand what it means it's to repeat, to do again, to. Do it over, and over, and re, do it over. Go back and do it again, or do it again. Just keep, re what? Revive, and vive, V-I-V-E is a Latin root word. And what does it mean? Anybody know? Life, to live, to re-life. But I'm already a Christian. I, I, I was dead, I'm alive, and I'm living. Spiritually, I'm alive to God. I mean, I, I'm, yes, you are. And there's a little distinction, there's a little bit of difference here because the idea of revival isn't about that that you're going to be born again over and over again. It's not that. It's that you're refreshed, you're rejuvenated, and everything is brought back into its proper focus and place. Why? Because well, we live in these bodies, we live in this world that's corrupt, it's very sinful as we know, and so on and so forth, and I'm not a pessimist or negative, but it's the reality. Sometimes things touch us or get in our way, if you will, that Well, they they force us, or we should be forced, to go back to God for revival, to be relifed. To be relifed. Now, let me tell you why it's important to say that we need revival. That I need revival. Personally, the church, the church at large, we need a revival. Because when you think about it, when you first got saved, and we've heard this in other sermons from Pastor Mike, Pastor Dan, and others, When you first got saved, we had, and I'll use that word, but we had that passion. And and there's an expression we use, and charismatics use this a little more, but it's the truth. There was a fire in us. Man, there was something burning. You would tell people, you were excited. There was such an intensity for God and for the things of God. Where are you now? You know, we sometimes... Don't get mad at me. But sometimes we, we think like it's okay if, as long as we keep going, we're staying the course. No! Try that in your relationship and we know how marriages work. If you don't re-life your marriage, I'll, I'll you know the outcome. I'm just gonna, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's how it is. So we need that with God. We need to have the same intensity where our focus is God and the things of God. Instead, the culture has infiltrated the world and the church has gone through this, these phases historically in cycles where culture influences the church and we buy in and, and we need, it needs, she needs to be relifed. And sorry for my bad English there and for using that, but you need to be relifed. Where are you at? What consumes you? I'm getting ahead. What is it? So we need to be brought to life again. You know, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a pastor from, I think he's no longer with us, I don't know, but I remember, I, and I, I read some of his stuff, and he, I want to quote him because he said, his name is Adrian Rogers. I don't, I don't agree with everything he said, just to be clear. But he said something about revival that's very important. He said, our homes need revival, our churches need revival. This nation and the world need revival. But no military power can bring revival. No economic, economic upturn brings revival. In fact, the opposite happens if you think about it. And the children of God are warned about economic upturns all the time because then you forget about God. Things are going great. No election can bring revival. No Democrat, no Republican, no Trump, no Obama, no whoever it was will bring revival to a nation. Revival is the sovereign work of Almighty God, he says, and we agree with that. That's it. You can't make it up. You can't make it happen. It's all God, only God, coming down through the heavens, touching His people, touching people, and doing a work. In Isaiah 64, he says, as I read earlier in verse 1, God's people had been carried into captivity. Same context as Psalm 85, 6. Very similar. His work was in disrepair, and his people were dispirited, and it's much like believers today. Now, Listen, I don't, I'm making a blanket statement. I'm not suggesting that every single Christian walks around all dispirited and down and out. No. But we go through those phases. But as a whole and as a, and as a large, it's probably a fair painting or a picture of the church today where it's dispirited and there's the lack of hope and faith and if I could just say energy or how about the spirit of God and the word of God that is not pushing and driving the church today. We need revival. And the church has been carried into captivity by this world. Now listen, I know the gates of hell will never fail against the church. And it's true, and the church will never fold. Amen. Good, I'm glad you believe that. It will never happen. However, God's people were still God's people, and there's a parallel, if I could say the Old Testament church, so to speak. They were in captivity to the world. And the church today is in captivity to the world. And I need another two hours to tell you how, and you know. I'm not going to start because the list is long. (laughs) It's captive to the world, the culture, the flesh, and the devil, and the Christians are discouraged. Many have no hope for revival. They don't even believe that revival is possible. Is that one of you? Is that who you are today? You don't even believe that anymore? I'm going to tell you, the revival is not only possible, it is inevitable when God's people get right with God. You know, we talked about rending the heavens. But God wants us to go into our hearts. And you know what? I'm going to give you a little illustration that's kind of gross. So be ready. I watched Dr. Paul once in a while on TV. Woo-hoo! He's a vet guy, right? Oh, he's a trip, man. The guy's unbelievable. But you know what fascinates me? Is abscesses. Ah, see? But you know, what ha- you know what happens? We want God to rend the heavens, break through. But, but, but we walk around, and the church walks around. Individuals walk around with abscesses all over their joints and different parts of their body, by their eye or by their knee or on their back or wherever, spiritually speaking. And it has to be rent. It has to be cut through. And you know what comes out? I'll leave it to your imagination. That's sin. That's yucky cruddy, disgusting, smelly, gross, don't even look at it, don't touch it, don't smell it, nothing stuff. We need to have that happen today. It's a work of God and it's possible because when God breaks through the heavens and he touches our hearts, they break open and... Ugh. That's what happens when there's revival. That's what happens when, when God comes. And, and, and listen, it's inevitable. If we get right with God, revival will come. Why is there no revival? Listen carefully. It's not because of liberalism in the churches or disunity among God's people or because we've been worldly and compromised and all those things we don't want to do. I get it. Listen, if we get all of these things changed, it would still not be revival. These aren't the reasons for no revival. They're just the, they're just the result of No revival. They're going to be there. You can work as hard as you want to unify and all that. Only God can do that, by the way, bring true unity. And that happens when God comes down and there's revival. What is revival? And it's, this just became very simple because there's all kinds of definitions. Nope, it's not what happened, you know, 20 years ago in a certain city and people were doing weird things. I, I Listen, I'm, I'm just going to say, no. I mean, I'm not God, but I don't think so. Because you always look at what revival brings. That's another other sermon for another time. But, but, but listen, revival is simply this. It's when, when God comes down and we're changed because of his presence. Forget, it's, not, it's not about the manifestations. It's about God manifesting right here. This stuff is great. And I mean, fine, do whatever you want. Listen, not really, but it's throw it away. If nothing goes on here that's lasting, it's not revival. Amen. Period. If you're not loving the word of God, if you're not loving people and presenting the gospel, it's not revival. So can I just say after having said that, I need revival. Amen. Amen. How about you? Amen. Revival is meeting with Almighty God. Most of us seek God to do something for our church, our family, our nation. But we're seeking God's hand and what he can do and not his heart. And God wants us to seek his heart and his face. Our heart needs to yearn for God. We should be saying, God, will you please come down, like Isaiah said in 64.1. In 85.6, the psalmist says, Oh God, would you not revive us again? So our joy is all in you, and we're rejoicing all the time. God loves to come down. He came down when the Lord Jesus stepped out of heaven, as I mentioned earlier, to save us. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and baptized the infant church and birthed that church with wonderful power, Amen. And Jesus is coming down again at a second coming. If you study the record of the church in history, you will find from time to time and place to place, God has come down. And I'm not going to do a history lesson on revivals, and I think they're far fewer than, than people want to make them out. I'll leave it at that. Don't get mad at me. I want God to come down upon the church, upon New Hope Chapel. Amen. Many of us don't believe this is possible. And I know that as I'm looking at some of you, I know that some of you don't believe this is possible. Don't get mad at me. I'm using that phrase a lot today. But I know it. You don't believe it. Don't get the idea that America has to be changed before we can have revival. You you can have revival on your own, a personal revival. And some of you may be experiencing that. You can have a revival in your Sunday school class, in your Bible study, when you are put the praise team, when we're worshiping here on Sunday, when you're in your car, we're in, wherever you are, you can have revival where God comes down and bang touches you. Amen. Revive us again, O oh Lord. We need to experience to have a revival in three quick places. First, we need to have a revival in our awareness of God's presence. Now, how aware are you of God's presence? We need a revival there. We need a relifing of our awareness that we're cognizant and we're aware consciously of, of who God is and that he's there with us. He is everywhere anyway, right? He's omnipresent and he's in us as well. The Bible teaches, especially if you're a child of God, he is in you. Amen. Amen. You've got to believe he's in you because if you don't believe that you're not going to have revival so you better start saying that louder alright he's in us Amen. Yes. Woo! <laughs> Lord run the heavens and let your people see that you live in them yes. I'm not mad I'm just serious I'm serious you know God's looking over our shoulder and I don't mean that like but he sees everything we do he sees every thought of yours And somehow we've lost this awareness today. We do what we want, when we want. We're okay. Remember when you first realized or felt you just knew for yourself that God sees you. He knows who you are and what you've done and what you're thinking. It was awe-inspiring. And if I could suggest, it was so real to you. It was real to you. You knew when the Holy Spirit touched you and made you alive, you're like, Whoa, I can't believe this is who I am. And I can't believe that's God that would love me. Wow. And everything changed. And your perspective and your, your attitude and the whole deal, everything just was transformed. What happened? We live our lives knowing that God is looking over our shoulder. In other words, he's watching everything we do and that there's nothing hidden from him and yet we proceed oftentimes to go about if he isn't really watching. We need a revival of our awareness of God's presence. Oh, we need his, an awareness of his affirmation too, not just the fact that he sees all the stuff that we're doing and, and if we take a negative angle on that, that's, that's actually positive as well, but he sees everything, but that he affirms us and he's there to protect us and that we're aware of his presence and we live like that. Revival is simply an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God, someone said. And that's, that's partially what a revival is. That We are so aware of his presence. Secondly, we need a revival of our adoration of God's majesty and lordship. Not just aware of his presence, but that we need to be revived or relifed in our adoration of God. Now, this, this is a, I'll get to a few things at the end, but to help us understand and balance this out a little bit. You know, we were created to worship God. God, God that's how God created that. And then, of course, sin. Our creator created us to worship and to be with, and then sin came and ruined everything. We ought to live so nearly to our Lord that our awareness of His presence leads to affection for Him. If you really are aware of God's presence, man, you're going to adore Him. Listen, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but we're going to adore Him. And there'll be an ongoing adoration of God. And somehow, think about this. Think about this. Think about your relationships. Think about whatever it is. Somehow, the more familiar that we get with Him People, things, and it, again, I say Him, God. It's, it's, and even God, as I said, our love, our enthusiasm and reverence for Him wanes. It becomes so common, and the more we're, we stay there, sometimes we just get kind of like, we go through the motions, right? Other voices vie for our attention, and our affection shifts to that which is not God. Let me ask you a question. Upon who or what is your deepest affection? W- what do you love and adore the most? Some of us wake up in the morning and we're fantasizing about a cup of coffee that we've just got to have or we can't exist. It's all good. I might be there too. But anyway, but, but do we wake up with this thought that, wow, God, God. It's you. I'm awake again to worship you and to live for you with my life and my breath. It's all you, Jesus. Some of us just get up and we're so consumed with everything else we forget the fact that God's even with us. Revelation 2.4. Not doing a whole exposition on this, but in the church of Ephesus, John writes, these words from Jesus, I had this against you. You've left your first love. Your affection is somewhere else. What are you doing? You need a revival. You need to relive your affection, your adoration, and your love for God. You need to relive that. Revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. And it starts with me and you and the people of God. You know, Preston and Cohen. I know, Preston's becoming a giant. But even now, I stare at them playing or something they say or do, even things I don't like. I have to be honest. And then I remind myself, and I have a smile on my face, and I say, that's why I love them so much. I just want to go over there, and I tell him sometimes, and uh, Preston's a little more harder to do it now, but I just want to squeeze you and eat you up. I tell him that all the time. Even now, I'm probably embarrassing him because he's 12, right? But listen, I tell them, do I tell do I tell you guys that? I just look at them, and that's how our adoration and our affection of God should be. They just want to squeeze you, God. I want to eat you up. I want to feast on you. I want to be with you always and be close to me. And I want to see you all the time. I wanna be an eye shot, an earshot of you, because I love you so much. And there's so much joy in that. We need a revival and adoration of God's majesty and his lordship. Man, he's holy, he's awesome, and he's with us. And thirdly, we need a revival in our activity in the world. Now, this is three sermons, but just one point here. Activity in our world. We need to revive this. What are we doing in our world? Or what in the world are we doing? At salvation, which God initiates, and as a child of God, we need to take a step to God, right? He initiates salvation, he comes to us, and then we go, he draws us, and we come together and we're saved, right? It's all his work. But then once we're his children, the Bible says very clearly in James 4.8 that if we take a step toward God, what does he do? He comes to us. If you actually move towards God. If you're aware of his presence and you take a step to be closer to him and you're aware of his presence and you adore him and you want to be with him and you move one step, he promises he'll move towards you. And I'm hanging on to that and I believe that and I take God at his word. You can, you can be alive as we know and we're actually not living. Sometimes that, we're, 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 we always say we're existing without thriving. We're just going through the motions. really. We want stirrings. So many of us want stirrings in the movement of God without change. We want movements in our lives or just in our lives. Or we want movements just in the church of God. But if New Hope Chapel is supposed to be a reservoir without being a river in which so much is put in and we don't put out, then we're nothing more than, I've mentioned this before, we're just like the Dead Sea. There is an inlet but no outlet. We need to be at the Sea of Galilee. We need to be a reservoir. We need a place where God fills us, but then we have an outlet. And our lives should be that way too. Otherwise, we get stagnant and everything doesn't move and it's still. And then there's death and a heaviness and nothing grows there. We need to be revived with God's activity in our world. And the way this happened is is God is stirring us and telling us and he's given us everything to do right here. So we need a revival with God's activity through the word in our conscience and in our heart. And you know what? we got to start preaching the gospel more. We got to start preaching the gospel more directly. We need to start going out more directly. We need to start praying more. We need to listen. I know it's hard to say that because sometimes, even with a, as a pastor, as pastors, it's hard for us, and you have to battle and fight. But listen, there is no revival without this adoration that comes from our communion and our praying with God. I'm not just talking to you; I'm talking to me too. We need a revival. In God's activity, and it comes through the word and with prayer. And then we start to go out and we serve the gospel and we do everything God wants us to do, and it's effective. Can I just point you to the church in Acts and leave it there and search the scriptures and go back in your memory of what you read of what the church was like? God was active in the church and in the world as a result of his activity and his people. Souls were saved. Listen, we need to, to, to ask God for revival, that there would be activity in our world, not because it's us doing it, because it's God doing it through us, Amen. where our lives and our community is changed really quickly. So what prevents revival? What prevents revival? I believe that God comes down and he, and he rends the heavens when the following are addressed. And it's the church, but it's you. It's me. The no-brainer, the automatic is sin. First of all, if you don't address sin, uh, that's a problem. We're putting God at arm's length, or could I say even much further, if we're not addressing sin. God isn't afraid of sin or the sinner. He just can't be seen through it. He can't be can't. He doesn't break through it. In fact, Isaiah fifty-nine two says, "Your iniquities have separated you from God." These are God's people. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not, what? Hear. Oh God, rend the heavens. But I'm going to do my own thing and enjoy sin. God's like, what? Did you say something? Wait, wait, are you, are you yelling blue in the face? Because it looks like you are, but I can't hear you. God's holiness caused Habakkuk to say, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God doesn't deal with that very well. He can't touch it. He can't be near it. He's not afraid of it, but he, he can't because he's separate and holy and pure in every shape, way, form, whatever you want to call it. He can't. He's separate. And we have to address sin. Secondly, we have to address our senses. Now, what do I mean? Hebrews eleven six 6 states that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Well, let me tell you something. Some of us are relying on our senses and unless we feel God, we stop asking God to rend the heavens. Oh man, revival is not about that. It's not. Revival is about what happens here and everything starts manifesting in your life and changing. It's not about what you feel That can come a byproduct. It can happen. It's there. Praise God. But we don't seek God through our emotions. We must get through and around our emotions to get at God. This does not require that we seek God without feeling, of course, but rather that our starting at any point is not what we see, hear, or can touch physically, but an unseen God that can only be approached by faith. Man, if you're seeking the feeling, you're going to be disappointed every time. And not only that, if you think you've found God or felt God, the moment you walk out or the moment you go to bed at night, it's going to be like, oh, wait, where's that feeling? We've got to deal with our senses. And we are so driven by them, what we feel, what we hear, what we touch, what we sense, just overall. And we need to come over that and get over that. It's faith. It's not your feelings. Thirdly, we need to get over and we need to break through our schedules. This is a tough one in our day and time that we live. You know, our schedules, man, all the distractions in our life that steer us away and take our eyes from seeking God. I'm not here to tell you you can't do anything in life. That's not the point. The point is, is that are we so distracted that we don't go back to the earlier things, that we don't have any adoration, we're not even aware of His presence. We don't take time to acknowledge that. We're just so busy. We divide our life into two huge compartments and we say there's a secular and there's a sacred. There's no such thing as a Christian. Our life is a life of following Christ and living for Christ and He lives through us. Anywhere we are, everything we do. There's no sacred and and, and secular. We're Christians. We live life the same everywhere. Thanks, Dennis. A.W. Tozer wrote, essentially that our restlessness and busyness is a symptom of our lack of of disconnect with God's manifest presence. Not just His presence, but His manifest presence. And I quote this. He says, I believe this is what accounts for man's busy activities and for practically all of the entertainment there is in the world. There is a restlessness within that cannot be satisfied until, as St. Augustine said, we rest fully in God. You can fill your life with everything you want and you'll keep doing it because you, you want to feel something and you want to feel good and you want to take up your time. But man, you know what? If you connect with God and you rest in God, you could do nothing for two straight weeks. No Facebook, no cell phone. Well, I mean, if, if you're on vacation, all this, just get away. No, you don't need anything because you have God and you could be satisfied Oh no, I got to make sure my vacation, I schedule my fishing, my, my paragliding, my snorkeling, my, my six dinners out and their four-hour dinners and, I, and this and that, whatever, my sightseeing tour. I mean, just pack it in. Oh, fill it up to the gills. And where's God in all of it? The last one is that prevents revival is our superficiality. Isaiah 29 13, the Lord says, These people come near with, to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Now, I just want to be clear. Man, I am all for doctrine and good theology and whatever, and it's all that. It's fine. But God is asking for the removal of appearances of seeking him. Don't try to fool everybody like you're seeking God when your heart's not in it. You can say all you want the right things and you can, I mean, liturgical churches do it all the time and it's lifeless. And your life is could be a liturgy of rote repetition of stuff you do and there's no life and there's no spirit and there's no change and there's nothing happening for the kingdom of God because you're just going through the motions. This is what happens when we allow sin, our senses, and schedules to dictate how we seek God and when we seek God. We seek through religious road as if that would somehow summon God's manifest presence without our hearts actually engaged. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him. In truth, Psalm 145 says, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen you will seek me and find me when you seek me with All your superficiality, all your emotions. No, with all your heart. Can I ask you, when you're desperate, are you going to reach back into your intellect and into all the stuff you've known and make sure that everything is just so to a T? Or are you just going to cry out to God and say, Help! Rent the heavens! I need you now! oh no, wait a minute, let me make sure that I quote this scripture and I do it exactly this. Listen, if it's, just call out to God. Uh, I'll answer that. that. That's, we gotta be careful and be very careful of that. You know, there's a, to sum it all up, we have to be very careful because when we first got saved, if I could do this, I shared this in the last week of Sunday school and it caused me to share it now. And we'll close in prayer. If we're not careful, if you want to be honest in church history and even in your own life, there is this thing where God regenerates us. We become alive to him. We know who he is. We're aware of his conscience. We adore him. We love him. Then we start going through and and then all of a sudden these things get in the way. They could be sin. Maybe it's not sin, but maybe it's just superficiality, which by the way is sin because you're you're a fraud. Um, And But, but all these things, schedules, business, everything comes in the way. And all of a sudden, when there was once movement, the Spirit was active in our lives. He was driving us. He permeated. He dominated. Everything we did was Spirit led. I'm, I'm saying everything, but really. It was just, it was the Spirit. We didn't care. Then something happens over time. We become familiar and something, and this is why we need revival. All of a sudden, we get mechanical. You know, I got to be honest. I and this doesn't happen often, but I have no. Don't take this personal. But I I have more joy hanging out with new Christians than I do with Christians that have been Christians for forty years and all stuck in the minutia and trying to figure God out. Because they're seeking God and there's movement in their lives and you feel it and you draw on that. But we get so mechanical sometimes because we know so much and we try to box God in. We talk about tired of dead religion. That's what it is. It becomes superficial. I know here and I tell God how you should do it. No, you can't do it that way. This is how I should pray. This is how I should pray. Just pray. Just seek God. Just tell other people about Jesus. No matter how short it is, just do it. And you know what happens if you stay mechanical for long enough? Oh, this is the sad part. You become nothing more than a memorial monument. What good is that for? To tell everybody how things were. Is that where you are? Can I just say, I really do believe that if we're not careful, the church will become that. Go to Europe and you will see many monuments in the land. I was there in 2003. It was a long time ago already. But the empty cathedrals that had thousands of people, they're nothing but memorial monuments of what was. There's no spirit. There's not even mechanical. It's just a memorial monument. Do we need a revival? I'm sorry I've gone long, but we need a revival. Revival. We need to be revived. We need to be re so that the passions, the desires, the things we had, that our intensity would be all about God and the things of God and not everything else. And then if God, if there's room, we'll put God in. Tozer sums it up as I close. The devil introduces many things to distract people from the unanswerable yearnings in their hearts. The noise and the clatter and the ritual and the motions are replacing the God. They are seeking. Oh God, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, revival doesn't happen because we're going to make an altar call and you sit here for three hours or four hours. It could. Revival happens with you when you take this to heart and the Spirit of God takes these words and that we share in the cry of God's people in Scripture and say, God, rend the heavens. God, will you not revive us again that we could rejoice in you and cry out to God and seek Him. Seek His word. Pray. Be all about God and the things of God. God starts moving. Amen? Now, two things as we close. Going to receive our offering. Actually, the ushers are going to be in the back to receive your offering. The reason is, is because maybe we need a revival of activities so we can move chairs for school day's outreach. That's good activity. It'll take us 10 minutes. Kathy, whoever will lead us, direct us, we will have this cleared out in 10 minutes. And we're on our way seeking God in our own lives. Amen. So we could see revival. So I want you to ponder and think about these words. I'm going to close in prayer. And as you walk out, the ushers are back to receive your offering. As you're getting ready, I'm going to pray for the offering. i to pray for revival. I know I kind of forgot that, but sorry. And then i want to encourage you to stay after and help for 10 minutes. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would revive us, Lord. That we would rejoice in you. That all we do would be all about you and the things of you, Lord God. It would be centered on your word and on communion with you and prayer and the saints, O oh God, and the gospel going forth. God, revive us. Revive me. We need you desperately, God. And I ask, Lord, that today this word would not leave us alone. It would cause us to lose sleep to the point, Lord God, that we're seeking you on our knees in the middle of the night till we get a hold of you and you get a hold of us, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, you give us, Lord, a spirit of persistence, of seeking you and calling out to you until you touch us, till you come down and meet with us, Lord. We praise you and love you, Lord. I pray that you bless as we go, Lord, God. We pray for revival during school days outreach. Pray, Lord, for your word to go forth and for many lives to come to a saving knowledge of you, Lord. We ask, Lord, your protection and your boldness, God, and your courage to be all that you want us to be with our life and with our mouth, Lord. And it's in your name we pray and ask. Amen. Amen.